Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for an episode, we're talking about Scott's most recent trip to Israel. Scott, shalom. <laughs> How was your trip Boker, to Israel, man? Welcome back. Yeah, Boker Tov, as they say in Israel. Good morning. Uh, great trip with, uh, I'm, you know, it was my uh, doctor of ministry, my D-Min cohort. As a part of their uh, study, <clears throat> it, the degree is a New Testament in Context. We do a week in, or eight or nine days in Israel in what I call education beyond the books. And that is to experience and to see and to smell um, the Holy Land as a part of education. And every student, I had a couple students who had been before, so it was a little, it wasn't quite as fresh or new for them. But those who had not been there were just overwhelmed by seeing the, the places, the locations, the sites, some of the archaeology. And that right there is an education because it makes us think more realistically about the Bible. When we get to the Sea of Galilee, these students have seen it. When we talk about the Decapolis, they've seen it and been there. So that that was that was what we did. And we had a bus full, 39 people on tour. Uh, I was, in in a sense, the tour leader, though I'm not trusted with all the administrative details because I tend to get lost in what I'm thinking about and forget the details. So our president at the seminary, uh, Bill Scheel, went with us, and he was sort of the administrator. And one of the other teachers in the cohort is my former colleague at North Park and friend, Joel Willits, a New Testament professor, and he is a specialist in geography and archaeology and some of the history, and he did a great job uh, filling in some details alongside our tour guide, who was an Arab-Israeli, along with a Palestinian Muslim bus driver. So, mm. so we had a lot of voices contributing to the conversation. And it was a it was a grand week, and I think everybody came away refreshed and a mind and heart expanded and ensouled uh, in such a way that uh, we'll never forget what uh, our opportunity to go to the Holy Land. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like you reminded me when you talked about just the, the getting to experience and everything and get really a, a picture um, of that. I, when people have, I've heard, describe their Holy Land trip, and myself experiencing this as well on, on my trip, is reading the pages of Scripture, the black and white and sometimes red, if you're reading a Bible with words of Jesus in red, yeah. that it goes <laughs> from a black and white picture to a, like a high definition type of picture in your mind of, of what's going on. And so that's, that's cool. Why do you think that's important in the, the educational process? You said that's a part of the, uh, the demon requirement for you. Why is that so significant to really have that type of, of picture and mindset when you're thinking about these materials? Uh, let's think about it this way, uh, Chaz. Let's just say that you know someone. I have a friend I've never met, although I have seen him uh, in images. 
and uh, online. But it when, and, and we've scheduled a meeting, when I meet this person, things will change. Think about the people you've known uh, by email that suddenly you meet or you go to a, hear them speak and all of a sudden you see them in the flesh. It transforms your image and your mind and your imagination about that person. And sometimes uh, you find the person in actual presence to be so much greater and more expansive of your knowledge, whereas other times you can be disappointed. I look at traveling to the Holy Land that way, is that, you know, we've heard of of Armageddon, uh, which is Har Megiddo. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a city on a hill uh, called a tell in, uh, northern, in northern Israel. You've heard of uh, perhaps of Tepori or Sephoris, which is a city, a Roman city, uh, not far from where Jesus grows up in Nazareth. And you've heard about these places. You've heard about the Sea of Galilee, and you can Google pictures. But there's nothing like waking up in the morning in Tiberias, and we were uh, we were at a kibbutz in North Ginnisar, just north of Tiberias. And there's nothing like getting up in the morning and looking over the Sea of Galilee and watching the sunrise and thinking, Jesus saw this virtually every day for three years in his public ministry in Galilee. Uh, there's just nothing like that. So, so it's an uh, it's an experienced reality rather than simply a verbal or oral reality. And I think that's the big thing. Hmm. Uh, the other side, uh, Chaz, for me, is that space matters. Sometimes in evangelicalism, we become pseudo-gnostic in our understanding of the Christian faith, that all that really matters is this invisible, spiritual, uh, dynamic, even mystical relationship with God the Father through the Spirit in Christ, uh, and that really what matters is what's going on inside us, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. Uh, this is not the way God has revealed uh, himself to us. Think about this. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself to, to Abraham in the splitting of animals and as a smoking pot. He also revealed himself uh, and made him, his presence manifest in a tabernacle. He made his, his presence manifest in a temple. And he created a people called Israel to embody his covenant and to carry that covenant throughout the world. Then most particularly, God reveals himself most completely in his son, an actual human being, which Eugene, Peter says, Eugene Peterson says in his The Message, he moved into the neighborhood. This is the idea of incarnation. Um, God creates a people, a temple, a tabernacle, a son he, that he establishes as the son over all, and then creates uh, through this spirit under Christ the church. And the church is a gathering of a physical embodied people. So space mm -hmm. matters. And I think what happens is that we become, in, in that sense, more biblically faithful to how God wants to speak to us when we take seriously the significance of space. The first time most of our people uh, saw Jerusalem, 
uh, was at night. But one morning we got up and we went over to the Mount of Olives mm -hmm. and we came down in this area that is probably perfectly designed for tourists like us and tour groups. And our people saw the walls, the Temple Mount, which in the middle uh, is the Dome of the Rock, uh, a Muslim house of prayer, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And they saw Jerusalem, and they saw the colors of Jerusalem, and they saw the city of Jerusalem. There is nothing like seeing that as the place where God has manifested his love and grace and presence right there on that Temple Mount for thousands of years. And there's nothing like realizing that this is what Jesus came to fulfill. Then we see on the on the western on the eastern side we see the Valley of Kidron, the Kidron Valley, which Jesus walked up and down and across. It slopes up to the Garden of Gethsemane and then even higher to the Mount of Olives. These are places where Jesus was. There's an olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane that they're certain is more than two thousand years old. You know, some people would say Jesus touched it. We have no idea. But it is an olive tree that was at least planted in the first century. And there it is, physical reality. So I think that space matters. And this is um, people who come away from this can value the space of church, the space of fellowship, the space of Eucharist, the space of baptism, the space of a pulpit, the space of a place to worship. You know, colors, everything can start to take on a little bit more freshness because uh, we value the significance of space. That's good. And, you know, it's kind of what we talk about a lot with our, our podcast being Kingdom Roots, you know, how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. And listening to you you talk about those reasons, and it just reminds me of the, the significance of, of having an experience like this. Uh, of course, not everybody in their life is going to be able to go to the Holy Lands, but to uh, at least be a student of opening, being open to learning in such a way, um, this is how the kingdom took root. This was the space, yep, yep. The, the physical space that the kingdom took root then. And if we want to be students to allow it to take root now, as it did then, then we need to pay attention to, to the space that we inhabit yep. and exist. Yeah, I think I think that's right, and I've I, I was reminded of this so many times. Now, let me give you an example. Some of the places connected to the ministry of Jesus, let's just say Nazareth, uh, Capernaum, the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, some of these places we don't know precisely where Jesus was. We know he was there. We don't know exactly where he gave the Beatitudes. We don't know, uh, although it's a slope, and there's a little bit of a hill on this one place, and they, they de de designed it as the Mount of Beatitudes. Um, we're pretty sure where Peter's house was, and on top of that was a church, a Byzantine church, and then that was destroyed in an earthquake, in the, I think, in the 6th century. And then on top of that, uh, John Paul II built a church, uh, which covers it up, but at least you can see they created it so you can see underneath and see what the first century was like. Um, in Jerusalem, of course, there are memorialized places. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher uh, is the traditional site where Jesus died. His resurrection would have taken place close to that, they think. Uh, we don't know all these things for sure. Bethlehem has a church on the site of where they think maybe Jesus was born. Uh, 
We don't know that for sure. But but let me put it this way. Sometimes sometimes we can we can get a little negative about people going to these places because they believe that is exactly where Jesus was born or where he died. And we can throw up historical dust into the eyes of people and say, well, we're not for sure. I think that we need to distinguish between a tourist, an archaeologist and historian, and a pilgrim. And that is, a tourist is curious. We're over there trying to see things. We're there to see, to take pictures, to take selfies, to remember. An archaeologist and a historian is going to toss the dust up and say, we're not sure, we're not sure, we're not sure. But the pilgrim doesn't care that much if it is the precise location because they've come to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem or the Temple in Jerusalem or the Mount of Olives or Gethsemane or Capernaum or Nazareth or Sepphoris because they think it is a thin place and they've come to pray and to seek God. And over and over, I saw, I watched people, you know, you get to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and you have people on their knees kissing rock. Um, and some of us who are evangelical Protestants can look down on people like this. But I, I looked at these people and I knew that they were seeking God. And who was I to disparage their search for God. Of course, some of them thought it was magical, and that's just bad theology. But they were seeking God, and we were curious picture takers, which is far less of a significant act than someone who's seeking God. So let me, let me give a story. Everyone knows who Alec Guinness is, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, one time Alec Guinness was acting the part of Father Brown in a movie in Burgundy, France. And he was dressed up as a priest. And, and he discovered late in the afternoon that he wouldn't be needed for, it was early afternoon perhaps, he wouldn't be needed for acting for several hours. So he and his friends went to the local pub and had a drink. And then Alec Guinness decided to go back to his room and relax, probably work on his lines, and on the way, and he's wearing, uh, he's wearing a priestly gown, on his way, as he walks, a little boy came up and grabbed his hand and began to speak to him, calling him father, you know, bonjour, mon père. And Alec Guinness uh, said he was afraid to speak because he didn't want to frighten the little boy because the, the little boy had equated his external clothing his priestly attire with his being a priest. So he trusted him and held his hand and walked with him in a sense of security and safety. And Alec Guinness describes this in his book, Blessings in Disguise. He describes how the little boy walked with him in a nonstop prattle. I think those are his exact words. And then they walked for a while. And then all of a sudden the little boy bowed to him and said goodbye and dipped through a hedge and walked into his home feeling completely safe because he had been protected and walked with a priest whom he admired and loved and that priestly gown. Well, this is the strange part of this story. 
Alec Guinness had grown up in the church, in the Catholic Church in England, and was very negative on the church. And this event broke down his resistance to the church, and he became much more of a devout Catholic for the rest of his life because of this experience with the external reality, the external symbol of, let's say, a spiritual reality. And I tell this story because I told our cohort this story because sometimes we disparage the pilgrim's fascination with sacred space and belief that this is where Jesus was born or this is where he was crucified and they want to go there and seek the favor of God, many of them no doubt praying for people who are ill, maybe for themselves, praying for their world, praying for peace, praying for justice, whatever. And we need to recognize that space can sometimes become a thin place, a thin space where we encounter God, just as this little boy encountered protection with Alec Guinness, dressed in a priestly robe, and Alec Guinness uh, experienced because of the robe that he was wearing. And maybe this can be a reminder to us of the value of space becoming a thin place. Wow, that's that's a cool story. You know, hearing you break it out, the tourist, a pilgrim, and a historian, that almost sounds like it, it's a setup. Maybe there's a joke in there somewhere. A tourist, a pilgrim, and a historian goes to Israel and uh, tries to experience something. But I wonder, you know, in that, if there is... The, of, of those three different, I guess, kind of hats that, that people can wear in this space, is there a, a way to, I don't know, wear all three at once? Or should we see ourselves as going in and out of each of those roles? Uh, or is there value in being able to um, appreciate each one for it is and, for what it is and um, try to learn as much from, from each one that we can? You know, here's what we try to do in our... Um in our cohort experience. Um, every day we began with devotions by one of the cohort members. And a couple of them, um, Jeff Blair and Randy Johns, I believe were the only two, I'm, I'm trying to remember. <clears throat> because of the nature of our touring, gave their devotions on the bus. But we had, we had, um, uh, I got to talk a little bit in the uh, amphitheater at Caesarea, Phil uh, at Caesarea Maritima. I got to teach on a parable of Jesus in the, in the synagogue at Capernaum. But one of our students gave a devotion on the Jordan River at a, at a site that the archaeologist and the historian would say, this is not where it happened. It doesn't matter because it was a great moment for us memorializing the baptism of Jesus at Yardinit, and he talked uh, there. Uh, one of our students um, gave a devotion uh, on, the, uh, on the Mount of Olives and talked about the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so we, we were in sacred places at times. Uh, one person gave a devotion on the Mount of Beatitudes, and the, these were parts of us to remind us, uh, and one, uh, a fascinating talk by one of our students is, let's not get so absorbed with the places and spaces 
And let's not for, uh, forget that this is all about Jesus. Uh, so we, we reminded ourselves uh, devotionally every day of what we're, what we're doing, that we're Christians, we're devoted to the Lord, and this is increasing our devotion, not just increasing our brain size. On the other hand, I, every day I gave a talk on one of the parables of Jesus. I did a series on the parables of Jesus, eight different parables that we looked at, and I developed a theme called Imagine a World Like This. Uh, so that was a little bit more the significance of location for the meaning of kingdom and kingdom roots, you see, that it were taking place. And uh, along with this, our tour guide told us the facts when we were at, at, uh, at Tel Dan uh, in northern Israel. He, he showed us the so-called Gates of Abraham and a cultic uh, worship center there. When we were at Caesarea Philippi, Bill Scheel regaled us with some performance and discussion of the significance of that location for Jesus asking his disciples, who do you think I am? Uh, so we got information as well, and Joel Willits filled us in with geography and archaeology and the life of Herod. So we tried to do all three, and I think at times uh, we can minimize one or the other, and, and our, I think our balance was beautiful. It's probably not perfect. But as close as we're going to get is that we kept the spiritual, if you want to say, the devotional. We kept the informational, theological, uh, the significance of these places and the mission of Jesus. And we also uh, covered some intellectual things that would help us understand the places, the history, and the archaeology. So, Scott, this wasn't your first time to Israel. I think you've been one other time. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, this time around, coming for a second time, what new things did you learn or um, I don't know, did, did you experience with God that maybe didn't happen the first time you went? Well, the first time I went, Chaz, uh, I was overwhelmed by the beauty and glory and significance of the Sea of Galilee. Um, one of the things that happened to me is I forgot about a lot of these places. <laughs> you know, it was about four or five years ago, and um, I lost all the pictures in my phone and my iPad. So <laughs> oh, I had man. to take all I had to take all new pictures this time. Well, you had to so, go back then. So yeah, you I had to go back. And take, <laughs> I had to take pictures. That's right. But uh, I would say this time, uh, Galilee came home to me. Capernaum came home to me. Uh, more significantly, it deepened my perception of the beauty of the location, but of the, uh, I, I see Capernaum as my thin place in the Holy Land. I'm not as moved by the Holy Sepulchre and the Church of the Holy Nativity in Bethlehem or Jerusalem. I'm not, uh, I, like the, I like the Garden of Gethsemane and Mandy Hecht, one of our students, did a beautiful story about Peter in the special garden off the Garden of Gethsemane for all of us, and I'm going to post it on the blog on, on tomorrow. Um, I, I love those places, they, and I love the Wailing Wall. I would say this time the Wailing Wall was even more significant because Chris and I and a few others wandered up from our hotel uh, in, at night, and we saw it under the lights, and it was spectacular. Uh, so that became a significant place. You're actually looking at the stones that were um, that were there in the first century, and you're touching them, 
and we put prayer requests in the cracks of those walls with with all others who pray at the wall. So for me, uh, Galilee remains a thin spot. Uh, I did not have any aha, brand new thin spots uh, this time. Uh, but I, we did, you know, I got to see these places. My memory is deepened now. I hope these images will stick with me. Um, but at the same time, I participated with many others who were having thin spots and led me to prayer and thanksgiving. One of my students, after Mandy Hecht had talked in the Garden of Gethsemane, I, I looked around. Uh, I was pretty much near the end of the group, and I looked back to see the garden, and I saw Doug McPherson on his knees in prayer at a bench. And it was moving to me to see uh, our students having this kind of spiritual formation that they needed to spend time before God in thanksgiving for what this place had meant to him the last time he was there and all that has transpired in his life. So, you know, Chaz, that, that's the way it is for me. I, I love, I, I've kind of lived in the images of the Sea of Galilee since I was there several years ago, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was really glad to renew, renew it with a physical reality again. What do you think, um, this may or may not be in direct connection to, to your trip, but as the everyday Bible reader thinks about Israel, um, what are maybe some common misconceptions or real important foundational understandings that uh, the everyday reader of the Bible need to have uh, about, I guess, primarily the, the place and, and cultural realities of Israel? Yeah, I'll just say a couple things here, uh, and I would say this, that you can read your Bible without knowing these things, and you can read it well without knowing these things, but once you're there and you see them, it will change what you see when you read the Bible. Okay, the first thing is is that Israel is shaped, um, the Holy Land is shaped in kind of a, a very important way. It starts at the coast on the west, and it slopes and then Jerusalem is on a tall ridge running like a spine north and south. So uh, Jerusalem is. So Jerusalem gets beautiful winds in the evening, and it's also one of the cooler places in all the holy lands. So it was an ideal location that. But then it slopes down sharply from Jerusalem to Jericho into what's called the Jordan Rift Valley, the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. So there's this, you, you go up pretty high, and then you go down. And if you're walking, you'll know it. If you're driving a bus, at times our bus was only going 35 or 40 miles an hour because of the weight of the bus going that sharp uh, up. And it's a very hilly area. It's, this is not the Midwest. There are no baseball fields uh, in these locations. I guess you could have them out by Caesarea. All right, the second thing is this. When you go from north, let's just say go up to Nazareth, go to the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, or go all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, uh, Banyas, which is uh, in the Golan Heights, and then go south, you're in beautiful hills. It's green. From there, you can see Mount Hermon, and Mount Hermon was filled with snow, and uh, Israelis uh, go up there to ski uh, right now. All right, so you can see Mount Hermon, and it's it's a mountain like 
you know, a, a small mountain in Colorado. And as you're up there in Galilee, it's green and things can grow and you're, you're impressed. And as you go south, as you get to Samaria, let's just say about halfway from the Sea of Galilee to, to uh, the Dead Sea, it suddenly turns brown and rocky and you wonder who in the world could live there. Well, this is precisely where John the Baptist baptized. This is where Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted. This is where the um, Essenes, I think, or the Qumran Yahad set up shop just off the Dead Sea. This is where Masada is. And as you drive through these areas, you realize this is a desert place. This is rugged and it's brown. It looks like New Mexico. It looks like Nevada. It looks like Arizona. Whereas otherwise, it looks a, a bit like the hills of, let's just say, uh, eastern Colorado, uh, but, uh, but hilly, you know, a, mount, a little mountainous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's, there's a big difference in, in the north where Jesus ministered in the Galilee and Nazareth and where Jerusalem is and where the Dead Sea is. So I think those two ideas, from east to west, you go up and down in a major way, and from north to south, you move from green and cool and vegetation to rugged, arid desert. Hmm. It goes from green to sandy brown. Thanks, Scott. That's fascinating. Yeah. So uh, just as in closing, I guess, um, any words to, to wrap up your your trip or describe and maybe anything to people who might not ever get the chance to go to the Holy Land and experience what we've yeah. been talking about today? Well, first, I would say this, uh, that um, I would encourage pastors to think about going and taking their church or taking people in their church. We're going to go probably in two more years. Uh, another D-Min cohort, probably, and at least uh, our Northern Seminary is going to sponsor another trip to Israel uh, in probably 2019, I think. I, we're, we're talking about it. So I would say, if you can afford it, it is a great experience, and uh, it will be one that will enrich your church, bring some of your people together around the Bible, and form some fellowship. Uh, the second thing is that people who can't afford to go, I, I would encourage them to get on Google and uh, Google some of these places yeah. so they can see it or get a map that shows the terrain. Uh, you know, some of these maps are raised maps and they can they can feel it with their fingers uh, how this terrain works uh, But or get picture books and read about it. Uh, you know, more importantly, uh, they should spend time in prayer and reading the Bible and fellowship with other Christians. And if possible, uh, go to Israel. If not, um, experience it vicariously. And I think it can be rewarding for their spiritual life. So I would encourage people to, if they can, uh, to think about going. And if they'd like to uh, go with us, we'd love to go with them sometime in the future. Great. Well, thanks for sharing about your trip today. Uh, listeners, thanks for joining us today. We're grateful, as always, to have you on our podcast and uh, look forward to having with you next time when we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 